You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. Tonight we're going into a series on the book of Leviticus and the book of Hebrews. And um, this is based upon uh, a class that I teach at the Bible College. And I've taught for a number of years this class. And uh, so we'll be using uh, notes that we teach on a Bible College level and um, sharing uh, this word with you. Uh, We're calling the series Better. And the reason behind that, uh, obviously, you have uh, the book of Leviticus, which is part of the the law. And the book that corresponds with that in the New Testament is the book of Hebrews. The key word through the book of Hebrews is better. And uh, the reason for that is the new covenant is better than the old covenant. And uh, obviously, everything to do with Jesus, the Messiah... Coming as our Savior didn't come to condemn the law, but actually came to fulfill the law. And so what they lived under in the Old Testament obviously was the law. And um, uh, that was for uh, thousands of years. And when you get to the New Testament and when Jesus died at Calvary, uh, that new covenant that we are part of today under the dispensation of grace... Uh, God, uh, you can you can read uh, some powerful scripture in the book of Hebrews where the sacrifice of what uh, the blood of bulls and goats could not accomplish fully in the Old Testament is accomplished by the blood of Jesus. Uh, you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. As of a lamb without blemish. So. We're going to go into this series, and um, the first part of the series, we'll kind of focus on the book of Leviticus, and, um, and then we'll uh, pick up the, the last half of the series on the book of, of, the book of Hebrews and make some connections and to uh, see um, the wonderful things that, obviously, that we have advantage of today in our walk with God. So it's... Um, uh, when I was asked to teach this course a number of years ago, I thought at first it may be a challenge in the sense of keeping people interested and whether there would be um, an interest from students, of course, young adults. And the more I studied and the more I taught, the more I realized how awesome it is of how God has put together um, what was Old Testament and New Testament. And so the setting of the book of Leviticus uh, is based around um, uh, they're at the the bottom of Mount Sinai. And uh, there's a a few, uh, this is just a few short months after uh, the people have been brought out of slavery by, by mighty acts of God's power out of Egypt. And so you have a setting where for 430 years, they're in slavery. And uh, there's a cry that's given unto God. 
And God raises up a deliverer by the name of Moses. And, and you can see how throughout the book of Exodus, uh, this happens. And uh, the ten plagues and all of, all of that um, dynamic, miraculous uh, power of God that is seen uh, throughout those events. And so when the book of Leviticus starts, uh, it's just a few short months after they have come out of, of um, bondage. And um, the, they're at the bottom of Mount Sinai. And the Lord is calling Moses up Mount Sinai to be spoken to over a 40-day period. Where the Ten Commandments are going to be given to him uh, from the Lord. And also complete detail, uh, 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 specific details on the portable worship center. Uh, and the tabernacle uh, that uh, they are going to have in, in the future. And so uh, the book of Leviticus is kind of, uh, it's actually kind of like a manual on how to, uh, how to see the, the guide for the priesthood, uh, the setting up of, of what it was, the duties of the priest, how they were going to uh, go through worship, uh, worshiping God in the tabernacle. Uh, you see in the first half of the book of Leviticus, uh, you're going to see uh, principles uh, that, that deal with um, uh, sacrifices and how it covers sacrifices and how important that was, the duties of the priests, what was required of them. Of course, those things are all relevant to us today. And then the second half of the book of Leviticus, you're going to see uh, the rituals of holiness and cleansing and actually how relevant those things are to us today. Um, and so we realized that God uh, had chosen to dwell with his people uh, in the tabernacle, and that symbolizes uh, both his presence and his power. And, um, and that's why it's so incredible in the New Testament when Paul writes that you and I become that temple of the Holy Ghost where God's presence and power wants to dwell. And so uh, nothing in Scripture is by accident. Everything is uh, written with a purpose. And so when you look at uh, the book of Leviticus, every ritual and moral regulation of the book of Leviticus drives home a truth uh, of the New Testament. It is a, a shadow. If God uh, is with us, then we're to be wholly set apart from everything else but Him. And all throughout the book of Leviticus, it's given us direction and guidance to uh, set ourselves apart unto God because he wants his presence and his power to be uh, the ruling factors in our lives. And so um, you're going to, through this study, uh, we're going to study, uh, ob obviously, the, the sacrifices, the festivals, all those types of things, but also uh, the arts of cleanliness, um, uh, holiness, um, making sure there's a godliness before God. When we look at the book of Leviticus, there's really... Only six people that are talked about, uh, Moses and Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. And, uh, of course, um, uh, the two sons, Nadab and Abihu, uh, they didn't follow the instructions that God wanted and lost their lives for that. Eleazar and Ithamar are the, the, the surviving sons of Aaron. And they serve as priests. So throughout the book of Leviticus, you're only seeing really six people that are talked about throughout the whole book. Um, and they're all related. 
Um, and they're given to us as, as examples of, uh, of the good and the negative and for us to see uh, what, what is happening in uh, how it affects our lives today. Uh, if you're looking at the, the date and the authorship of the book of Leviticus, it's, it's uh, one of the books that's written by Moses and um, probably uh, about 1445 B.C. is the closest that we have as a date, and that is at the bottom of Mount Sinai is where uh, this is written. So you kind of you kind of have uh, a, a timeline um, that makes up information that is uh, thousands of years uh, before uh, what we see in the case of the Book of Hebrews, and um, and 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 what's so awesome about the Bible is things that are written so far in advance, yet uh, have such strong relevance in the future. And here we are 2,000 years from that, and it still has an incredible relevance in how we serve God today. And so um, when you look at uh, the breakdown of the book of Leviticus, you're going to see in those first uh, seven chapters, rules for sacrifice, uh, consecration of priests in, in the second section, um, being clean and unclean in the next, the Day of Atonement, which is a very powerful moment in the chapter 16 uh, rules for holy living from chapter 17 to chapter uh, 22 uh, and then you have the whole uh, discussion about the festivals in chapter 23 and then how we have obedience in our worship and all of these things build on top of each other and so the rest of the chapter is built on uh, our obedience and worship and so uh, the book of Leviticus has a lot of historic information that is given to us. And so God gives Moses um, in the first um, seven chapters, and that's uh, what we will focus on tonight. Obviously, uh, we will not be going through the chapters verse by verse, as I'm sure you would be aware. Uh, we would not uh, have anywhere close to that being complete by our normal Bible study time. So we're really just hitting the highlights um, because of how many chapters that we have uh, to cover in each lesson. And really, when we're teaching an undergrad level at the Bible College, that's what we're doing. We're giving an overview of what uh, the topic is about. And uh, if you were going into a greater level, a master's level or whatever, then you would go into complete detail about those types of things. Uh, so he's, he's talking in the first seven chapters about the different types of offerings and the guidelines that priests have uh, for those offerings. He gives us offerings that are voluntary. He talks about offerings that are mandatory. And uh, if you want to see a key verse of these first seven chapters, then chapter 5 and verse 6 would kind of give us a key verse of what is speaking about in these seven chapters. And he shall bring his trespass offering unto the Lord for his sin, which he has sinned, a female from the flock, a lamb or a kid of the goats for a sin offering, and the priest shall make an atonement for him according to or according or concerning his sin. Uh, that's really the highlight or the kind of the key verse in the first seven chapters is that there needs to be an atonement made for the sin of individuals. And... Uh, 
If you were trying to add some personal application to that, obviously God is inviting people uh, to have that atonement made. He's still doing that. He's still inviting people to have their sin removed. Um, and now it's not by the sacrifice of animals, but rather by the sacrifice of the Almighty God that robed himself in flesh. And I am thankful tonight. I'm thankful for Calvary and, and what Calvary did for you and I when it comes to having sin removed in our lives. Not pushed ahead, uh, no longer um, uh, pushed to another uh, year. No, no, I'm thankful, amen, for the new covenant. I'm thankful that when you and I repented of our sins, the Lord removed that from our record. Aren't you thankful tonight that, amen, he removes sin from your record? The new covenant is better than the old covenant. Uh, if you look at um, chapter 5 and verse 15, it's going to uh, tell us a little bit about how some of this works. If a soul commit a trespass and sin through ignorance in the holy things of the Lord, then he shall bring for his trespass unto the Lord a ram without blemish out of, uh, out of the flocks with thy estimation by shekels of silver after the shekel of the sanctuary for a trespass offering. This, this is all around the topic of guilt. Um, again, uh, you can only imagine trying to follow over 600 laws on a continual basis and uh, the frustrations that would have happened uh, of trying to do that to the best of their ability. Um, when it speaks about guilt, there is an act which... Um, there's an act which brings guilt. So something happens in someone's life that makes them feel guilty. Then there's the condition of guilt which follows the act, the consequences of what has happened. And then there's the punishment that is appropriate for the action. Uh, and so what's happening, you see in the book of Leviticus, when something took place, they actually had to bring an appropriate offering for the guilt of the action that they had committed. Um, in the New Testament, guilt is, um, is a judicial concept. And uh, what happens is the punishment that we deserved, that we should receive, he took our place instead. Thank the Lord tonight, amen, that we did not receive what we deserved. He took upon himself that instead. So both Testaments view acts uh, which bring guilt uh, or an offense against God, but God in his loving way said, I'm going to pay the price. Actually, I'm going to pay the price for the sin of mankind. I'm so thankful that he is in the restoration business. Amen. He's in the restoring fellowship with him business. Uh, I'm thankful tonight, uh, amen, that uh, we're not coming on a regular basis with, with an animal that needs to be slaughtered for restitution. No, we've come to a Savior that said once and for all, I'm going to take care of what needs to happen in this situation and I'm going to carry the guilt of the sin of the world uh, upon himself. What's so incredible about that is there's no contract that God made with mankind of a guarantee that people would worship him, serve him, follow him based upon that. It's one thing to do that 
knowing or realizing or people committing to, well, I'm going to, I'm going to serve you if. No, God did it without any commitment from any individual that they would ever serve him. Amen. Uh, here we are tonight. We sit in, in church in the presence of God. You're serving him because you desire to, you long to, and that relationship, that restoration uh, uh, fellowship with God is so powerful because you don't have to, but you choose to. Amen. I'm thanking God, amen, that he paid the price, and I'm not, I'm not uh, uh, in, uh, needing uh, or having the feeling that I have to do it. I get to. I get to. Thank God for the power, amen, uh, of his sacrifice. So I want to spend some, uh, some time tonight going through uh, sacrifices that were made by individuals, Israelites. And um, I want you to see uh, through these sacrifices actually how they build on top of each other. Um, and how, how uh, they become even greater in the sense of what they represent and what they, what they mean. Uh, the first uh, sacrifice that was uh, uh, discussed in Leviticus is the burnt offering. The burnt offering was a bull, uh, a ram, or a he-goat, and uh, a, a goat actually for those, uh, maybe for the poor, it would be a male dove or a young pigeon. Uh, and, and the importance of whatever it was, that it was without defect. So they weren't able to bring something that was sick or uh, leftover uh, idea. No, they needed to bring their best of what they had to offer for this burnt offering. And what would happen is the offerer, the one bringing the sacrifice, would lay hands on the head of the sacrifice and it would be killed, cut up, and, um, and, and, and the sacrifice would be washed. And then the priest would pour... Uh, blood on the altar and burn the carcass of the sacrifice. Uh, the whole purpose behind uh, this sacrifice, first of all, it was voluntary. Uh, they didn't. It wasn't something that someone had to do. It was a voluntary offering. And the symbolizing of what took place with the burnt offering, it was a symbolizing of a complete surrender to God. If you were thinking of the, the key word in this offering, the key word would be surrender. It has never changed. The necessity of what happens with us as individuals has not changed. You are not forced to stay at the altar until you repent. <laughs> we don't take you to the baptismal tank and hold you under... <laughs> None of those things are things that someone is forced to do. If we're going to serve God, it's voluntary, and it is a symbol of our surrender to God. You can follow all kinds of law if you choose and still not be surrendered unto God. The key to our relationship with God is by Number one, surrendering to him. It's not my, it's not me, it's not about me. It's all about him. And we offer ourselves in surrendering to him. 
You cannot come to God unless you believe that He is. What is the He is? We just talked about it on Sunday night. It's the I am. Amen. Everything about Him is I have to surrender to Him. God, this is about you. This will never be about me. I'm going to give myself to you. Uh, voluntarily, you offer, amen, uh, the best that you have to God and surrender to Him. Not your leftovers. Not what doesn't matter. Not the defects of your life. Not that, no, you're offering to Him the best that you have to offer voluntarily in surrender. It has, the recipe's never changed. When you gave your heart to God, whenever that was, you made a decision at that moment. I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. I don't even know everything that's going to happen. I don't know everything about the Word of God. I don't know everything that is going to take place in my future. But right at this moment, uh, I've got one thing in mind. And that is I'm going to surrender to Him. That was the symbol of the burnt offering. The second offering that's spoken of in Leviticus is the grain meal, or sometimes known as the meat offering, um, but mostly grain or meal. And grain, uh, flour, or bread with olive oil and salt, uh, but never any yeast, uh, was offered uh, as the contents in this uh, grain or meal offering. And what, was ha what happened is the food was prepared uh, by the offerer, the one bringing it, and the priest would burn a handful of that grain or that meal and, um, and then uh, would keep the rest for his food. Um, that's what the practice was of that offering. So a handful of, uh, would be burnt and then the rest would be kept for uh, the meal or for the food for the priest. This offering, again, was voluntary. And this offering uh, accompanied burnt offerings on a regular basis. Uh, a lot of times went together, done at the similar times, following each other. And the symbolizing of this offering was devotion to God. Now, I want you to notice the building of what happens. You cannot be devoted to God unless you're surrendered. Doesn't work. You can't say you're devoted to God and not be surrendered to God. But when someone is surrendered to God, then it's built upon that. They have a desire not only to be surrendered to God, but to, to be devoted to God. And that's why you see a building of these offerings together. Think of it in the sense of how you and I serve God. When we gave our heart to the Lord, we surrendered to Him. But in that process, we, we made a decision. The decision is, God, I want to give my life to you. It's not that moment only yes that moment is transformational that moment uh, uh conversion happens something powerful took place but it's not good enough to be one moment that's that's not going to do it that's not well i made that decision 10 years ago and now i'm i'm doing whatever i want whenever i want however i want no no that's that's not a, a surrendered life builds upon that surrender with the grain meal 
or meat offering and says, I actually want to devote my life to God. And so what happens through the book of Leviticus, you see that this voluntary, no one's forcing someone to be devoted. No one forces me to make my devotion to God. But because I'm, I'm wanting to be surrendered to him, I dedicate, devote, consecrate my life to him and say, God, whatever it is you want to do through my life, that's what I want you to do. And there's something that's spoken in that when you become devoted to him that uh, it takes priority. The priority of your devotion to God supersedes anything of this world. It does. Nothing else, however important it may seem, does not take precedent over your devotion to God. What happens is, people at times are trying to live both sides of the equation. Well, I want to be surrendered to God because I want to be a Christian, but their lives are not being devoted to God in the aspects of how they live. And so then there's a tug of war that's happening back and forth in people's lives and frustration takes place and there's ups and downs and ins and outs and all of a sudden. But let me tell you, when a person says, I'm going to surrender my life to God, I'm giving my life to Him, and from here on in, I'm devoting my life to Him. There's something that takes place in your spirit at that moment. Doesn't make you perfect. Doesn't mean that you won't make mistakes. But there's a consecration level that says nothing else is going to come between me and God. It hasn't changed. The Leviticus uh, pattern only became better in the New Testament when, when a, a person, as Peter responded with, the power of the gospel, repenting of their sins, surrendering to God, going through the process of being baptized in his precious name, filled with his spirit. Uh, there's a separation issue that happens. I just want to be like him. Uh, well, that all comes down to my devotion to him. It supersedes everything else in this world. Thank God for people that still devote their lives to, to Christ even after their moment of surrender. And so this, this uh, offering is voluntary. Uh, the third offering that Leviticus speaks about in these first seven chapters is the fellowship Offering, sometimes known as the peace offering. And again, it's going to build on top of the burnt offering and the grain offering. Under the fellowship offering, they uh, had any unblemished uh, animal from a herd or flock. That's what could be offered uh, for this offering. And the person bringing it, the offerer, would lay hands on the head of the sacrifice. He would kill it. And then the priest would throw uh, blood of that sacrifice on the altar. Part of the sacrifice is eaten by the worshiper and his family. Now, the significance of this, this offering called the, the fellowship offering, uh, and, and the, the part of this offering uh, was, was voluntary, so no one, again, had to, had to do it, but it was a, a, a building on the surrender offering, the devotion offering, and in this, uh, in this uh, offering, uh, it symbolizes fellowship with God, thanksgiving for blessing. So you can see how um, they build on top of each other. 
When you surrender your life to God, you become devoted to God, you want to spend time with God. What's happening and what's a challenge to people is they want to sometimes spend time with God when God's needed. And all of a sudden we want to fellowship and we're trying to do that outside of surrender and devotion. But they actually build on top of each other. And what's beautiful is when someone is surrendered to God, they're devoted or dedicated to God and want to spend time with God. Um, Think of it in the marriage setting. If you wanted to spend time with your spouse, but you're not um, surrendered or devoted to that person. then all of a sudden you come along and, well, let's spend time together. Uh, There's no anxiousness to do that when the commitment's not there. Well, in the spiritual sense, when someone is uh, surrendered and devoted and they want to spend fellowship with God, that's voluntary. He's not making someone do it. He he is never going to make you pray. He's never going to make you worship. He's never going to make you do something like that. But when someone decides that they want to do it because they want to spend time with him, there's something that happens in your spirit. And so you can see the building on top of these, these offerings and how powerful they are even in our lives today. Think of when you gave your heart to the Lord. You made a decision to surrender at that moment. You follow that up with saying, I'm going to live for God. I know there's going to be mistakes along the way, but I'm going to live for God to the best of my ability. And in this living for God, I'm going to spend time with him on a regular basis. You are building relationship of restoration of what God has always wanted from the beginning uh, since the fall. That's, that's his desire. His desire is for you to be in fellowship with him on a regular basis. What a wonderful uh, demonstration of what God does in a person's life when they're in fellowship with him on a regular basis and uh, they talk to him and he talks to them and you have a knowledge of his voice and he speaks to you through his word and, and your relationship with him grows because uh, on a regular basis you say, I'm going to fellowship with him this is an offering an offering offering number four is the sin offering the sin offering was a a specific animal that was required depended on the status uh, and the position of the person that was offering it a very poor person for example was allowed to bring an offering of fine flour But in the cases of people who had the means to do it, uh, their status depended on what they had to bring. And the offerer would lay uh, hands on the head of the sacrifice, kill it, and then the priest would pour the blood on the altar. The best of that, that, that sacrifice or carcass was burned. The best was burned. And the rest would go to the priest. I want you to notice uh, the significance of what happened there. It wasn't uh, the leftover parts that was burned. It was the best. And there's something powerful that happens. The first three offerings that I shared with you are voluntary. 
But when it came to the sin offering, it was mandatory. It was mandatory. And for the sin or ritual of uncleanness, the hands of the head, uh, hands on the head of that offering signify identification. So if you're looking for the key word in that offering, it's identification. And it's identification of the offerer with the sacrifice that's made for the atonement of sin uh, for that individual. Um, and the reason for this offering being mandatory is you cannot have sin removed voluntarily. It's a mandatory. And what happens is it's built upon the best of the sacrifice. Not what's left, not the rest, no, the best. When you, when you give your heart to God and surrender, and you can see actually how quickly these things can happen because they can happen fairly quickly in a person's life. You make a decision at a moment where someone is going to be surrendered to Lord. I'm, God, I'm going to devote my life to you wherever that may take me. Because I want to spend time with you. Fellowship. And I'm going to offer a sin offering. The best that I have. Because I want to be identified with you. Well, you can see in those first three offerings. The voluntary aspect of your repentance. Or making commitment or dedication to the Lord. Or wanting to spend time with him. But the ante is raised here with a mandatory offering to be identified with him. Of course, the number one way that we are identified with him is through baptism. Baptism is not an option. It's not an option. You are buried with him in baptism. It's not, well, you know, it's a good idea you know, we want to do it because everyone's doing it. No, no. Something happens when the name of Jesus is applied to your life in baptism. You become identified with him. In the natural sense, you see it when someone gets married. I'm thankful that my wife, when I got married, she was thankful or desired to take on the name. I'm thankful for that. Uh, not that Carter's better than Story. It's just that she married me. And she decided to take on the name. That's in the natural sense. I cannot be surrendered to God, devoted to God, want to spend time with God, and not be identified with Him. It's the natural process of if I'm going to surrender my life to Him, dedicate my life to Him, want to spend time with Him, then I want everyone to know that I'm his. Something powerful happened when you took on the name of Jesus. Yes, uh, your sins were remitted and they were washed away. And I'm thankful that they're no longer used against you from that time. But something powerful happened when you used the name of Jesus in baptism. You become identified with him. You are a child of his. You took on that powerful name in baptism. 
Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus. There is no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. All power in heaven and earth belongs to him. There's an identification that happens. That's why when you see someone who gives their life to the Lord, which is a wonderful celebration time, and I'm thankful for it, when people make a decision to give their life to God and surrender to Him. And those are great moments. But the significant step that takes place is when someone decides, I'm going to connect with Him by being identified with Him. That is not a voluntary offering. To have sin removed is mandatory. And the only way for sin to be remitted, yes, it's forgiven in baptism or in uh, repentance, but it's remitted, not held against you, washed away in baptism. Something powerful takes place. I, I use simple illustrations at times. It's kind of like uh, when you repent, it's kind of like God takes all your sin and puts it in a bag, and, but you're still carrying the bag. When you go down in that watery grave of baptism, the bag's gone. Amen. Not that, not that uh, people can't remember things you've done, but the wonderful thing about God is He's all-knowing, He's omniscient, but He doesn't use it against you any longer. It's under His blood. You have been identified with Him and no longer... Is he going to use, bring that up, let that be judgment upon you? You have become identified with him with the mandatory offering of the sin offering. This is not something that you can do half-heartedly, halfway. Well, you know what? I, I, guess, I guess I could or I, maybe I should. No. No, no. This is, you're giving the best. You're giving the best to him. And when you give the best to him, you become identified with him. Uh, it's a, a powerful demonstration of what was given as an offering in the book of Leviticus. That is still a powerful demonstration of a person's relationship with God in 2022. I never, ever get bored with watching someone be baptized in the precious name of Jesus. Because at that moment, something is happening in that person's life for the rest of their life. Had it happened before where maybe parents convinced someone to be baptized. Or someone didn't realize why they were baptized. Or, and they sometimes want to be re-baptized. And I never, I never go against that because uh, there, is a, there is a powerful thing that takes place. I know, don't believe everyone has to be rebaptized. Don't don't get me wrong, but there are sometimes there's occasions where people don't know why they were or they were in the moment where maybe parents or whatever told them they needed to or whatever the case is. Um, uh, that's that's not how identification happens. Identification happens when you see the need that you want to be identified with him and you see that uh, that connection that you're making with him at that moment and says, listen, I want to be on his side. 
not ashamed to say that you're identified with him. Amen. Offering number four. Offering number five is the guilt offering, or what is also known as the trespass offering. And what was offered in this case is the contents was a valuable ram or lamb that was without defects. And uh, the offerer would make restitution plus one-fifth. Uh, he would lay hands on the head of the sacrifice, kill it, and the priest would pour the blood on the ground around the altar. The best parts were burned, and then the priest would receive the rest uh, for food. Um, that's the practice of what happens. And so this guilt offering, this trespass offering, was also mandatory. So the first three are voluntary, but as you see, they build on top of each other. The last two become, uh, they become mandatory. And what happened, or the significance of this offering, the offering was required when a person violated, violated the rights of another, as by theft or, or, or whatever. It was also required when uh, someone was healed from, from leprosy, uh, as God as they had been deprived of, of worship in the Lord. Um, uh, and so if someone was diseased, as, as you would know, they're not allowed to go into, um, into the temple or whatever the case was. So uh, they, were, they were kept on the outside. They were deprived of that. And so when, when, when a guilt or offering or trespassing offering was, was given, uh, the key or the symbolizing of what took place in this offering was restoration restoration so you you see the building person surrenders to god a person becomes devoted to god a person wants to fellowship with god a person becomes identified with god and a person becomes restored with god well that's what god's been wanting to do with everybody since the fall get everyone back to a restoration process with him. Now everything was, <clears throat> excuse me, everything was not perfect through these offerings, but they were shadows or a symbol of what was going to happen in the new covenant, the better covenant. Okay, the old covenant, uh, this is what they followed. This was the, the guidelines. These were the voluntary mandatory offerings that, that got them to uh, a place where what they could do throughout or under the law. But when you get to the new covenant, you can see how when a person, no matter where they came from, no matter what their background was like, no matter how long they've lived in the world, when they make a decision to be surrendered to God, hallelujah, they make a decision, I'm going to devote my life to God from here on in. And there's a desire to fellowship with Him. They identify with Him and say, you know what, I'm going to make sure that, that, that there, there's no... Um, a misunderstanding of whose side I am on. And then all of a sudden through this last offering, guilt offering, trespass offering, there's a restoration process that happens with God. Now you see it in the, the case of, I give an example of, for example, of theft or disease. Well, um, when they're talking about just example of theft, if, um, and this this happened, I, I don't know how many years ago, but I, of course, heard the story. And Brother Dudley used to tell the story. 
about someone who had come to church and gave their heart to the Lord and, and uh, started living for God. Well, that person, however many years before, had stolen someone's rubber boots. Well, in the process of them giving their heart to the Lord, becoming devoted to God, fellowshipping with God, identifying with God, restoration caused them to bring back the rubber boots. Well, that's a good plan. That's a good idea. It'd be pretty difficult to know that you stole the boots and then still keep them and try to go through the minefield of your conscience after the fact. Example. And so then you have the example of, of they give of leprosy or disease. And the idea behind that is throughout that whole lifetime uh, up to that point, they were unable to enter into the worship or the sacrifice of what had been uh, done by others. And so he's just given a couple examples. You know what? Restoration means what it was like before sin. What it was like before sin. Well, what's so powerful about that? None of us sit here tonight perfect, but we're on a pathway. We're on a pathway to strive to what it was like before sin. We're going to see that fully realized one of these days in the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ when there will be no more sin. And the restoration process will be completed and things will be restored the way they were before sin entered. I don't know how exciting that makes you feel, but there's not going to be any sin in heaven. There's not going to be any temptation to sin. There's not going to be any falling into sin. There's not, no, no, no. The restoration process will be complete, and you will be changed and be like him. Glorified state. Without sin, I'm thankful for what the law offered, but I'm also thankful that when Jesus came, he came and fulfilled every part of that law. He became the sacrifice of who people surrender to. He became who people devote their lives to. He became who people spend time with on a, on, on a daily or regular basis. He became the individual, amen, the sacrifice that we are identified with. And he became uh, the one who restored us in our walk and relationship with him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for the supreme sacrifice as the book of Hebrews tells us, once and for all. Aren't you thankful for that? Amen, I'm thankful for that. Just imagine, just imagine if that wasn't the case and we had to start every service with everyone getting rebaptized. I mean, because we're all going to have issues with making mistakes. But I'm thankful that the once and for all happened and that baptism continues on a, on a regular basis 
of cleansing my life, your life, from the errors, the faults, the mistakes that we would make. Oh, I'm thankful tonight. I'm thankful that we're not all bringing in a, a goat or a, or, or a ram or whatever, and, and we're starting the process tonight with, with, with the slaughter of, of, of an animal to, to take care of, of, of a, an offering or sacrifice. But rather, we come into the house of God and say, God, here I am. I'm surrendering my life to him, devoting my life to you, want a fellowship with you, I'm identified with you, and I'm looking for restoration in my walk with you. Thank the Lord. Amen. You see, uh, of course, uh, this transition that happens in the New Testament, and uh, we hear the story. I've, I've mentioned it or, and spoke about it before, and we talk about it, how the Lord comes to the temple, and they're exchanging uh, money exchanging there and he says you've taken the house of prayer made it into a den of thieves and they're crossing through the temple because it's a shortcut to where they're going all of those things upset the lord in how and what was happening uh even under still under the law at that time and he gets upset about it and upsets the tables of the money changers because of what they have made the house of God into. The greatest, though, of his frustration with what was happening in that process was that people were coming to the temple to purchase their sacrifice to offer as their offering. He never designed that we would come to the house of God and just purchase what we had no personal contact with. And it upset him in the sense because when you are the one that raises the sacrifice from the birth of that sacrifice and you are the one that's making sure that it remains without defect because you got a purpose for that lamb or that ram, whatever the case is, you've got a purpose that this is going to be my offering and you're taking absolute care and making sure no harm comes to that because you know it has to be to the best of your ability without defect and then all of a sudden it comes time for you to take the offering to the house of God and you pick up that lamb or uh, that sheep, whatever the case is, uh, and you pick that up and you start to carry it towards the temple, there's something that happens in you that's different than buying it at the temple. There's a connection that takes place that you have, you've got interest into this sacrifice. It hasn't changed. We don't serve a microwave God. We don't serve a God that's only that we only uh, come in contact when we need him. The easiest way possible. Well, you know what? I'm kind of busy. Got a lot of things on the plate. I'm just going to do what's easy. No, David said, I will offer nothing that costs me nothing. 
Something happens in you when you say, I'm surrendering to God. I'm devoting myself to God. I'm fellowshipping with Him. I'm identifying with Him. I'm going to make sure my relationship with Him is restored. Something is personal about that. And when you offer that to God, there's a connection that's made with Him. That's beyond anything in the natural sense. Thank God. When we offer ourselves to Him, fully dedicated, consecrated. You say, well, I, I don't have a lot to offer. I don't have a lot to give. He just wants you. He just wants you. He's not looking for anything but you. He's not looking for anything outside of what you can give. God, here I am. Just take what I've, what I've got and... It's all yours. And he, throughout scripture, even currently, is still taking people that are just offering themselves to him and using miraculously people who go through this offering process of having their relationship restored with him. Example after example that we could share. People in this room how God has taken lives that were broken, battered and bruised, put it back together, and you become a valuable, valuable person in the kingdom of God because of what God can do in your life. Aren't you thankful tonight? Amen, that it doesn't come down to certain qualifications of how good you are and all that. I'm so thankful that uh, we've got an incredible, an amazing, incredible Savior that said, here, here, I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to do all the offering. You just come and make, make sure you give, my, give yourself to, to the Lord. And listen, I, there's no telling what God can do when someone says, here I am, God. I want everything back to the way you desire it to be. Amen. Don't matter what people think, no matter how many talents you think you have or you don't have. When someone consecrates their life to God, he can take what he has, uh, hallelujah, and multiply that for his kingdom. I'm thankful tonight. I'm thankful for what God can do in a person's life. <laughs> I mean, when it comes to uh, looking at your lives, um, and you can go back five years, ten years, 20 years, 50 years, doesn't matter. Think of where you came from to where you are today. The miraculous power of the offering of Jesus Christ in your life. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.